0: All right, joining us now in the program is an old friend who's not calling from New York City, but is in fact right here with me uh, in front of the microphone, our special aviation correspondent, Vladimir Zarevika. Welcome back, Vlado. It's great to be here. Now, we've we've had some fun stuff here where I sort of try to do the the play-by-play, and you acted as my color man. I thought that might be a good thing to try today. I'm all for it. Excellent. We're going a little bit... A little bit far field of aviation, and of course, uh, uh, and, and I would say that, I would state for the record, my last history class was in the 11th grade. So to talk about what happened in China in 1405 maybe be taking us a little out of our normal realm. It is a little bit out of our league, but we're enthusiasts, so... <laughs> well, enthusiasm accounts for a lot, so let's, let's, let's enthusiastically inform the public... About what I read here in The Economist magazine, July 16th issue, uh, noting that the exploits of Chang Ho, or Zheng He, let's go with Cheng Ho, is a little Cheng Ho is, is okay. easier on the Western tongue. It is. We'll talk about the voyages of Admiral Cheng Ho, which China was celebrating the 600th anniversary of last week. I guess, first of all, we should explain who the hell this guy was.
1: He was uh, uh, one of the loyal eunuchs for the emperor at the time, and I'm going to mispronounce the name, Zhu uh, Di. He was uh, uh, a Muslim and a uh, eunuch and an admiral of the uh, emperor at the time's fleet. And the emperor probably made some of the largest public works projects in, in history, unless, of course, you count Boston's Big Dig. And uh, part of that was uh, building huge, huge fleets of uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of ships to explore the rest of the
0: world. Now, the truth is, we don't, uh, the exploration has to be probably in quotation marks because the Chinese approach to this whole fleet was quite a bit different than what was to follow with Portuguese exploration, which rounded the Cape of Good Hope going from Europe to the Far East. Cheng Ho went the opposite way, but it's a whole different story. But well, let's 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 hold off for that for a minute on that. Sure. And just tell what we know about him, which apparently is almost nothing, from what I can gather here from the from this magazine article and other things. That we know that he was a Muslim eunuch. He was from Central Asia, and that eunuchs at that time, of course, I guess anyone that saw the movie The Last Emperor knows that the mm-hmm. the eunuchs were kind of the powers behind the throne. They were dictating a lot of what was happening in the Forbidden City, where where things were happening.
1: Indeed, and. I wonder if it's in a if it was a small price to pay
0: for such power. <laughs> well, I, that I don't know, but uh, they certainly did exercise a lot of power in China for a long time. Um, according to the, what I've read here, Cheng Ho persuaded the Ming Emperor Zhu Di to finance this of what was to be the most extraordinary expedition the world has ever seen. May, maybe in the I don't even know what probably not probably nothing compares to this voyage period, end of discussion, because from what I've read, he at one point had 27,000 men and 300 ships on his very first expedition, which is, I mean, uh, the story is, they had, he had ships that were 500 feet long.
1: It wasn't an exploration, it was a mobile colony. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and according to the sources here, on the first, um, first trip, they sailed down into e- Indonesian waters, to force the potentates to accept Chinese overlordship, which in the Isaac Asimov reference I have noted, that, which they did, at least until the ships left.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> and in a second voyage, in 1409, Chang Ho visited India and Ceylon. When the Ceylonese attacked the ships, he defeated them and actually brought the ruler of Ceylon back to China as a prisoner. And in total made, uh, made seven voyages, reaching as far as the Red Sea. He visited Mecca. He visited Egypt. I mean, this is truly a remarkable story that nobody in the West has ever heard of.
1: Some of the ships, there are accounts that... Uh, I, I use the term mobile colony uh, 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 half-jokingly, but there were entire ships that were uh, garden ships. There were ships, uh, uh, from what I had read, that were uh, just carried fresh water. Some carried horses. Um, some carried fish tanks so they could actually fish and store the fish in salt water for freshness. With and you've had to feed twenty-seven thousand men. It was well it's, planned it's, out.
0: It's it's simply it's mind-boggling. It, it is indeed. I think only China in this era, being the unified large state that it was, could have possibly pulled off something like this. And wonder what more they could have done. Well, this is what, this is what's truly fascinating. Let's backtrack. Let's go back to Genghis Khan. He unifies the east and moves west and basically brings territory, the world's largest land empire, under his control. So, allegedly at this time, traders, Marco Polo, if he went, which I don't think he did, but Persian traders, Italian people, were able to traverse this vast expanse of the old Silk Road and trade from east to west. This breaks down. All of a sudden, goods become really expensive again. The middlemen are profiting handsomely from this, And a few bright sparks sitting over in Portugal are thinking, you know, if we could find a way to get around all these middlemen and sail there directly, we could make a killing. So we know this story about uh, Henry the Navigator and and getting good cartography and sailing down the African coast till eventually Bartholomew Diaz sails around and eventually gets Vasco da Gama gets to India and trade is opened up between East and West. But Chang Ho has these guys beat by like, you know, Decades. Decades, indeed. But trade didn't happen.
1: It, the trade didn't happen. And a uh, correlation to modern day times is uh, the invention, is it really an invention until there's a, is it worth anything until there's actually some commercial usage for it? There was no money to be made in, or at least the Chinese didn't make money. The Portuguese found an economic benefit for it and sailed
0: into the history books, literally. To, to quote here from Daniel Boorstin's The Discoverers, which he has quite a quite a, a description here of, of Cheng Ho, it was a whole different story. I mean, the Portuguese had this idea of trade and and sort of some conquest, gaining some land, finding trade routes in which they would just make a ton of dough off of. The Chinese were using this more as a showcase of why China is the world's greatest nation. Don't you envy us? And I think that that's really a, it's something that's hard for the Western mind to sort of sort of grasp, is it was like a big PR campaign. Right, let me excerpt a bit from Mr. From Mr. Borstein here. Um, Vessels ranged in size from the treasure ship carrying nine masts, 444 feet long, with a beam of 180 feet, down to the ranks of horse ship, supply ship, billet ship, to the smallest, the combat ship, which carried five masts, and measured 180 feet by 68 feet. Ibn Battuta, a century earlier who was a passenger on a Chinese ship about this time, was astonished that these vessels were so much larger than anything they'd ever seen in the West. Westerners also noted the remarkable construction that prevented water from one part of the hull from flooding the whole ship. Bulkheads, a series of partitions, were novel to Europe, though an old story in China.
1: Yes. Do you remember, Doug, how long the uh, Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria were? Columbus' ships, 70, many, 80
0: years later?
1: About, uh, I th- well, they were less than 100 feet, if I remember correctly. Oh, I'm sure.
0: I'm sure they were. And here we're describing the small ship being, being 68 feet wide. Yeah. It's just like, holy moly. And Doug, not only did the uh,
1: Chinese apparently have a, uh, advanced shipwright skills, uh, they also had advanced navigation with uh, the compass and also uh, celestial navigation,
0: too. Yeah, they, they pretty much invented the compass, what, about A.D. 1000, which is hard to imagine that in ancient times, the Romans, the Greeks, they had no compass. No. Yeah, let me, let me quote here some more. Cheng Ho took his navy, and we must not call an armada, for it was not designed for battle, to nearly every inhabited land bordering the China Sea and the Indian Ocean. To their own maps, the Chinese had added the Nile, Sudan, Zanzibar, and even some South Mediterranean places. They say that perhaps the knowledge came directly from Arab traders, but um, finds of of Tang and Sung coins and porcelain along the African coast suggest the Chinese themselves were there.
1: That's some uh, pretty strong evidence. Does it mention if the the finds were in uh, shipwrecks or if they were found um, amongst the local peoples, maybe traded?
0: Well, vexingly in researching for this this segment, I've been unable to find a lot of data about this, even though these voyages, they hear the Chinese are celebrating them, and I'll bet of our listeners, I'll wager not one person's tent and ten has ever even heard of this guy.
1: I would uh, I would agree with you, but there's a reason why uh, he wasn't so well known in the West, and it's not necessarily because of the West, M- meaning Well, when he got back from his last uh, voyage, there seemed to have been a regime change when he got home.
0: Yeah, apparently the emperor, I guess he'd uh, been kicked the bucket or was overthrown or was gone.
1: I believe he he had died. Yeah.
0: And the new guy was not keen to spend a lot of dough with a PR campaign about how great China was all over the South China Sea and India.
1: Right. It seems that the the new regime was more intent on uh, focusing on domestic issues rather than foreign policy.
0: And, and the sad punchline, which I know is coming, we don't want it with, before one final interlude, but China does, after this, withdraw when it's within itself, decides there is nothing out there greater than the, 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 the grandeur of China, the Middle Kingdom. So there is no reason to really go out to all these barbarian states. And so therefore they lose interest, and they actually start passing laws to make it illegal for Chinese people to travel overseas. But, but before that happens, there's one more regime change. And after the guy that was down on the voyages was, uh, was in, in power, another guy comes in and gives it one last shot, and apparently Cheng Ho's seventh voyage was the most lavishly funded of all, but it was the finale. Yes, it was. So it's 1433, and, and that's, that's the end of it. Uh, Cheng Ho has established diplomatic or tributary relations with 20 realms and sultanates from Java to Mecca, and it all goes to hell.
1: It all seems to have been wasted. And some of the research that I had uh, uh, done in this is that when uh, China closed itself off, and as if you mentioned, passed laws that uh, Chinese and people can't travel abroad, they also uh, destroyed the records of uh, all, most of the records and the maps and the information that was gathered on these voyages, including the seventh and last voyage, which uh, some people have speculated went to some,
0: Fairly interesting places. I know you've. I know you've read a book that shows that kind of goes out on the edge and speculates on some of this. What 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 what, what did this author come up with? The author
1: came up with that at least on one of the voyages that uh, Zheng Ho's fleet had uh, mapped and visited both coasts of North and South America, both the West Coast and the east coast of North and South America, therefore beating Columbus by at least 70 years.
0: Well, I've often heard rumors that there was trade between Mexico and Acapulco and China before before Columbus, and it makes you wonder.
1: Uh, it does, and, and, and the, uh, this author does speculate that some of the uh, ways of manufacturing textiles and paper and uh, pottery uh, was very similar in the Aztec culture as it was uh, in Chinese culture.
0: Well, regardless of where I went, it certainly was one of history's most extraordinary sea voyages, and it just—I just, just hope that we can learn more about it. Maybe, maybe China can dig out some of these records. I'm sure there's—I'm <laughs> sure they didn't destroy all of it. Maybe as China opens up to the West ever more, we'll learn more.
1: Hopefully not, and we can
0: give credit to a great sailor for what he had done. out pretty interesting stuff. I'm gonna do some science in the third segment. You want to stick around for that? Uh, yeah. All right, and. I know that some of you listening out there do know quite a bit about this. And again, why don't you you use our website, info at radioparallax.com and let us uh, educate us a little bit about the voyages of Cheng Ho and uh, where we might be able to find some more on that because we've been looking and it's not that easy to find. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. All right, returning to the program is our aviation correspondent of vladimir Zeravica welcome back vlado thank you doug great to be here we should remind our listeners that you know you being a pilot and myself having a a a background in biological sciences naturally some time ago on the show we tackled the issue of chinese exploration (laughs) of the ancient world yes i remember that when we discussed it And, uh, you know, we went a little bit far afield, but I thought it was a good little segment talking about the famous emperor. Well, we never did establish whether it's Zheng He or Cheng Ho. I guess it's Zheng He. That works. Well, we we need to return to this this unlikely subject for us to tackle because of some recent news. Did you see The Economist a couple weeks ago?
1: Yes, I did.
0: Well, uh, for those who, who didn't, we should note that the January 14th issue of The Economist on page 80 shows a picture of a map. And uh, the, the, it's titled, Chinese Cartography, China Beat Columbus to It, Perhaps. And, and he, it was not the first such claim, was it? Well, no, because I guess you read the book by the man you mentioned on the show last time, Gavin Menzies, who is a former British Navy submarine commander. He feels that Zheng He actually got to the New World, and uh, we mentioned it last time, uh, in passing because we were we we were talking about what was more definitely established historically but the the, the controversy has been rekindled yes it has now, i i kind of cut you off last time menzie's in the book claims that, that these chinese junks actually got here to california they got to california actually to both sides of uh, north and south america both the
1: east and west coasts and uh, into san francisco bay But there is no good evidence for this. There is a lot of circumstantial evidence that he uh, piles together quite well, but there's no uh, definite authoritative uh, smoking gun, if you will.
0: Well, uh, they're trying to authenticate this map. It is claimed that it is a map drawn in 1763. Uh, Apparently a lawyer in a well-known Beijing law firm, an amateur historian, bought the map for $500 in a Shanghai bookstore in 2001 subsequently discovered that it may have more value the map says on it it's a reproduction of a map dated 1418 true so even if it is
1: authenticated to the uh, 18th century it still will leave some doubt uh, as to whether or not uh, it was reproduced from a 1400s map in the article it did mention that all of the information in the 18th century map was already known by europeans therefore not giving any conclusive evidence either, just fueling the controversy.
0: So even if it is dated to 1763, it doesn't prove that it's the copy of the 1418 map. Correct. Now uh, they did note in the Economist article that some of the errors in this in this supposed 1418 map uh, turned up in European maps not long afterward, uh, giving it some credibility to the case. Most striking, the fact that California on this map is drawn as an island. Indeed. And if, if I remember my
1: uh, California history, the name California came from the fact that uh, the island where mythical women uh, lived were ruled by a queen called Calafia, and that's how the name California came about.
0: Well, this map that I'm looking at looks pretty good. It shows South America as kind of a blob, but it does have an isthmus that looks like, you know, looks like the correct anatomy of Central America. They left off Florida, but it's Got the outlines. It's suspiciously high in the latitudes. I mean, I don't know. It's got, it looks like, oh, my God, it's got the St. Lord's Seaway on here. Oh, and it did show it that the Northwest Passage was
1: uh, free of ice. Yeah, which is wrong. <laughs> I believe that in, uh, in the book, Menzies uh, uh, had uh, dealt with that in the uh, 15th century, the uh, uh, glaciers being in different positions in the polar uh, ice cap. Hmm. being different than it is now
0: well we'll have to follow this story apparently the man that bought it is not going to put it up for sale although they're claiming if they can authenticate it it would be worth millions and millions this is true
1: but he does claim that that he uh, that is not his purpose
0: well you know we're gonna have to get a, a genuine historian to knows something about this on the show in the meantime you and i continue to muddle through but it is an interesting topic to be sure
1: Let's not let facts keep us from speculating. That we should give the name of the book again? It's a 1421, The Year China Discovered the World by Galvin Menzies.